Good morning. The scripture lesson this morning is Luke 41 through 52. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. So last Sunday, I, uh, I wasn't here with you. Uh, I took a little, took a little bit of a, a break last Sunday and uh, went to worship in another United Methodist church. I, uh, I just sat in a pew and pretended to be a normal human being for one Sunday morning. It was nice. I had a good time. Uh, it, when I got to the church last week, I, I was uh, surprised and uh, excited to see a familiar face. Out in the pews, uh, as uh, we were getting ready for worship, I saw uh, a friend of mine, uh, one of the directors of one of our Christian camps here. Here in, in Michigan. And so I was glad to have somebody uh, I knew to sit next to. So I slid into a pew uh, beside him. And as, as we were getting ready to worship, I struck up a conversation. We started talking about, about our lives since we, last, uh, since we last saw each other. And I asked this camping director, of course, I asked him, well, how was your summer camping season? How do things go at camp this year? And, and this camping director, he, he shook his head and he said, well, he said our numbers were good. He said numerically we, we had a good number. He said, but I, I tell you, it just seems like this job, it just seems like this ministry gets harder and harder every year. And I said to him, well, why is that? Why does this job get harder and harder every year? And he said, it's, it's the parents. He said, the children are wonderful, and Jesus always shows up. He said, but the parents are, are driving me crazy. He said, it didn't used to be like this. Many years ago, he said, when I started out as a camp director, he said, parents could not wait to send their kids off to camp. He said, when we opened up registration, they wouldn't even stop their cars. They'd just slow down in the parking lot, and, and they would push the kids out the door, and then they would, they would throw a sleeping bag out the window and say, see you in a week, as their tires were kicking up gravel. He said, they're... The parents used to, used to love that week of camp. They used to look forward to having a week of peace and quiet when they could actually get some, some things done while their kids were at camp, he said. But then, at a certain point, something changed. He said, I think it was probably right around September 11th, 2001. He said, the summer after September 11th happened, camps, Christian camps and organizations all across America saw a sudden and steep decline in their camping registrations, in their 
number of campers. He said parents all of a sudden had this, this sense, this feeling that the world was a dangerous place, that there were people out there who, who want to hurt us. And suddenly parents across America decided that they, they wanted to keep a close eye on their kids. They weren't comfortable letting their children wander out of their sight. And he said then we got hit with, with the second whammy, which was when all of these kids got cell phones. He said we had a hard conversation at our camp trying to decide if we wanted to allow our campers to, to bring their cell phones with them for a, a week of camp. Eventually, he said, we decided that cell phones would be too much of a distraction from the ministry that we were trying to do. We decided that cell phones would, would get in the way of our children experiencing God's presence and hearing God's voice while they were at camp. And so we decided to institute a, a no cell phones policy at, at check-in. When our campers arrive, we asked them to hand over their cell phones and, and give them to their parents for the week. And he said, for the most part, we discovered that the kids were fine with that. The kids didn't have any problem handing over their cell phones, but their parents kick up such a fuss when we tell them that their children can't have cell phones for the week. What do you mean little Susie can't have her cell phone? How am I going to check on her? What if she needs to talk to me? What if there's some sort of an emergency and she, she can't get hold of me? He said, he said then when, when the camp actually starts, when we finally get the parents to walk out the door, he said, they keep coming back. He said, all week long, we have parents who just show up at the camp wanting to check on little Susie. I just want to see how she's doing. I want to make sure that she's changed her socks today and that she brushed her teeth this morning. I'm sure she misses me. I just need to talk to her for five minutes or so. It'll, it'll be no big deal. He said, I tell you, the campers are wonderful and Jesus always shows up, but these helicopter parents are going to be the death of me. Have you heard this expression, helicopter parents? Is this a, a term that you're familiar with? Or that, that expression, helicopter parenting, it was uh, coined back in the 1990s, but it really started to be used a lot by people in the early 2000s. So in the early 2000s, the, the first millennials graduated from high school and, and they went away to college. And, and professors and administrators at colleges and universities started to discover something happening that they'd never had to deal with before. They discovered that all of the, the baby boomer parents of these millennial students had a hard time letting go. They had a hard time of just sending their children off to college and allowing them to have the experience without, without some sort of involvement in their lives. They discovered that these parents, even though their kids might be hours and hundreds of miles away, still wanted to be involved in their, their children's daily lives. And so little Susie would show up late for class one morning and the professor would say, Susie, why are you, why are you running late today? And Susie would say, oh, well, it's not my fault. She would say, my mom forgot to give me my wake-up call this morning. And, and then when professors would post students' grades, they would get phone calls, not from the students, but from the students' parents saying, why is, why is Susie's grade so low? Listen, Susie can't get that kind of a grade in your class, not if she's going to get into the graduate school that I have picked out for her. I need to know, how can we, how can we elevate this grade? Is there some sort of extra credit that, that Susie can do in order to improve her, her score in your class? And, and it turns out that this didn't stop, even when these young people graduated from college. We had stories of, of parents accompanying their children to job interviews, and, and HR departments were getting calls from the parents of em, employees saying, why hasn't Susie had a raise, and I'd like to speak to her supervisor to talk about her job performance. And, and so this, this phrase, helicopter parenting, it was, it was coined as a way of describing this sort of style of these, these parents who were constantly hovering above their children, always, always making noise. Helicopter parenting, 
something is, is a phenomenon now that, that professors and teachers and camp directors have been dealing with for, for close to 20 years now. And this is the part of the sermon where you're probably expecting me to tell you that this is all a really terrible thing. This is the part of the sermon where you're probably expecting me to, to say that helicopter parenting is a plague upon our society and that it's going to lead to the downfall of our civilization, right? This is the part of the sermon where you're expecting me to say to all of the helicopter parents out there, just stop it because you're not doing your children any good. They're not learning how to function as human beings without you hovering over their shoulder. You're probably expecting me now to to tell you that helicopter parenting is a terrible thing and that we need to put a a stop to it, but I'm not going to do that because the thing is, I get it. I understand why so many parents have a hard time letting their children wander out of their sight. I understand why so many parents want to keep their kids close to them. I understand why so many parents are feeling protective of their children right now. Think of all of the things that we have seen happening in the world this week. Think of the headlines that we have been reading this week. This week we saw a man send bombs to people all around the country. A man sent bombs through the mail to celebrities and politicians apparently just because he didn't like their their politics. And this week we saw a man walk into a grocery store in Kentucky and kill two people, shoot and kill two people, apparently just because he didn't like the color of, of their skin. This week we saw a man walk into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and kill 11 people, apparently just because he didn't like their religion. This week we saw Matthew Shepard finally laid to rest in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. You may remember Matthew Shepard was murdered 20 years ago, apparently just because of his sexuality. And the next time you feel like judging those parents who have a hard time of letting go of their kids who are away at college, remember that Matthew Shepard was 21 years old when he was murdered by two men that he met in a bar. I understand why parents are feeling protective right now. I understand why parents want to keep their kids close. I have nothing but sympathy for all of the helicopter parents of this world who are trying to figure out how do we keep our kids safe in a place where it seems like danger and violence can erupt anywhere for almost no reason at all. I have nothing but sympathy for the helicopter parents of America. And and even more than that, I would say that I believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, has nothing but sympathy for the helicopter parents of America right now. I have this theory. Let's see if you you agree with me. I have this theory that Mary was probably the very first helicopter parent. I believe that Mary was possibly the very first helicopter mom in the history of parenting. We don't have a lot of stories that that show us what the relationship between Jesus and his mother was like, but those stories that we do have show that there was an element of, of hovering in that relationship. Those stories that we do have often show Mary being deeply involved in the life of Jesus in a way that may have seemed strange even even by today's standards. And one of the stories that we have of of Mary and Jesus, Jesus is at a wedding reception. He's at this party and he's trying to have a good time with his friends and all of a sudden Mary appears just over his shoulder and she starts telling him, you know, this would be a really good time to to do a miracle with all of these people gathered. She's stage managing Jesus' career, right? And then we have another story where Jesus is, is preaching to a house full of people and all of a sudden Mary shows up 
out of nowhere. She barges into the house, interrupts the sermon, and starts asking Jesus, have you been eating properly? Are you taking care of yourself? You know, you really probably ought to just come home where I can feed you a, a good meal, right? Mary, Mary seems to be hovering over Jesus even when he's on into his 30s, making sure that he's safe, making sure that he's protected, making sure that he's healthy. She has this, this unusual interest in his well-being, and, and why not? If there was ever a mom who had a good reason to be a helicopter parent, it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? When Jesus is, is born, an angel speaks to Mary and says, your son has been given a special destiny. He, he will suffer for the sins of the world. He will be despised and rejected. And not only that, but your own heart will be pierced with sorrow because of him. What kind of an effect do you think that, that sort of a message would have on a mom's parenting style? Do you believe that, that maybe Mary became just a little bit protective as a mom? Can you imagine Mary keeping Jesus close throughout his childhood, trying to protect him from this destiny, trying to keep suffering and pain and hardship as far away from him as she possibly could? Of course, Mary hovered. And then we have this story. In today's gospel reading, we have the only story that the gospels give us of, of what Jesus was like as a child, the only story from, from the years in which Jesus was growing up and, and living with his parents. The story goes like this. Jesus is 12 years old, and his parents take a trip to the big city of Jerusalem. Every year, faithful Jewish families were expected to go to, to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the, the Passover festival. They would stay in the city of Jerusalem for an entire week, and there would be sacrifices, and there would be feasting, and there would be worship and, and celebration. They would stay in the city for an entire week, and of course, the city was packed to overflowing with people. Can you imagine how anxious this big city filled to overflowing with strangers must have made, must have made Mary? Can you picture her with her white knuckle? grip on the shoulder of Jesus all week long, making sure he didn't wander out of her sight, making sure he doesn't run out into traffic, making sure that he doesn't talk to strangers there in the big city of Jerusalem. That week must have been terrifying for Mary. That week must have been exhausting for Mary. She must have been so relieved when the week was finally over and it was time to go home. Now, back in those days, you couldn't just get on a bus from Jerusalem to Nazareth. Back in those days, if you, you wanted to go from Jerusalem to Nazareth, you, you had to walk. And, and back in those days, in order to stay safe along this journey where there might be bandits and wild animals and who knows what sort of dangers, people would, would gather together and they would travel in a large caravan. People do that still today to stay safe along the road when they're going to a, a faraway destination. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they get joined up with a, a big caravan that's headed north out of Jerusalem that's going up to their, their hometown. And as they're leaving the city, Mary looks around and she doesn't see Jesus. But for the first time all week long, Mary allows herself to relax. For the first time in a week, Mary says, you know what? It's, it's, we've made it through the most dangerous part of all of this. We're with people who we know we're headed to a place where we call, call home. Jesus is probably just off walking with a group of kids somewhere. It's silly, silly for me to worry the way that I do. I'm just going to assume everything is okay. And so they keep on walking and they walk and they walk and the hours go by and the 
the day wears on and they get to the end of the day and Mary and Joseph still haven't seen any sign of Jesus and so they start to worry. They begin traveling from the front of the caravan to the back of the caravan asking people, have you seen a young man about yay high with curly brown hair and, and brown eyes? He answers to the name of Jesus. Lady, that describes half of the kids in this caravan. They go from one end of the caravan to the other looking for their son and they cannot find him and the panic and anxiety grows and grows and finally they they realize that Jesus is not with them. He is not in the group that is traveling. He has been left back in Jerusalem and so they run. They've walked all day long but they run all night long back to the city of Jerusalem and then they start scouring the city looking for their son. They go through the back streets and alleyways. They walk through the marketplaces. They check every place where they think a 12-year-old boy might end up. For three days they search for Jesus and finally on the third day they find him. Where is Jesus? He's in the temple surrounded by the the teachers of the law and the religious leaders and, and Jesus is explaining to them the ways of God. Jesus is telling them about the kingdom of God. He is explaining to them the the laws of God. And they're astonished by his understanding. They can't believe the maturity and wisdom and insight that they're hearing from someone who is so young. But Mary doesn't care about any of that. Parents, you have had this moment when she sees Jesus. All of that anxiety and worry and fear suddenly gets transformed into what? It gets transformed into exasperation and rage. And Mary marches right up to Jesus in the middle of all of these religious leaders and she says you've given this speech parents why have you done this to us don't you know that your father and I have been worried sick about you don't know that you know that we have been looking everywhere for you parents how many of you have given some version of exactly that same speech of course you have and what does Jesus say he does what every 12 year old does in this situation he shrugs and he says well didn't you know that you would find me here Didn't you know that I would have to be in my father's house going about my father's business? Mary must have wanted to throttle him. (laughs) Mary must have been seeing red in that moment. Parents, you know the feeling that I'm talking about when you've been worried sick about your kid because you haven't heard from them for hours and nobody knows where they are and you're thinking about calling the police and then your daughter walks through the door. Where have you been? Oh, well, Becky and me decided to go to the mall and we were going to call you, but I guess we forgot. And then they shrug and you want to throttle them. You see, you see red. That's the feeling that Mary has in that moment. Jesus, the son of God, savior of the world, made Mary see red and she wanted to throttle him. And there is comfort in that for all of us parents out there, right? It is hard to be a parent these days. Our kids face challenges that we couldn't have dreamt of when we were their age. They face lockdown drills. They face standardized testing. They face student loan debt. They face all of these things, all of these things that seem so much bigger than the challenges and things I had to worry about when I was a kid. And as a parent, when you want to protect your children, sometimes all of those dangers and all of that worry and fear can get to be overwhelming. And there are moments when you feel like you're drowning. And there are moments when you feel like you are a failure. And there are moments when you wonder why God ever trusted you to have kids in the first place. And in those moments, take comfort from this fact. Mary had those moments too. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had those days as well. There were moments when Mary felt overwhelmed and she didn't know how to protect her son. There were moments when Jesus caused her to want to throttle him and and see red. And so if Jesus can make his mom feel that way, maybe we can cut our kids a little slack, right? Maybe, Maybe we can go a little bit easier on our kids. And if Mary, the mother of Jesus, could feel that way, then parents, maybe we're not doing so bad after all. 
right? Maybe it's not that we're failures. Maybe it's not that we're bad at this. Maybe this is just what parenting is. Maybe we're doing okay. And there's one other word of comfort in this story. I want to make sure that you don't miss it. I want to leave you with this. There's one other moment of hope and encouragement in this story. And when Mary asked Jesus, where have you been? We've been looking for you. Do you notice how Jesus responds to her? Do you notice what Jesus says? He says, well, didn't you know that you would find me here in, in my father's house going about my father's, my father's business? And in that moment, even when it sounds like he's being just a little bit snotty like a 12-year-old can be, in that moment, Jesus also gives his mother a, a, a great and gracious gift. Because in that moment, Jesus reminds Mary that he has a whole other parent who's watching over him. In that moment, Jesus is reminding Mary that while he has an earthly father and mother who care about him and want to protect him, he also has a heavenly father, a divine parent who is watching out for him in ways that his earthly parents never can. And there is comfort in that for all of us parents. If you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember this. You're not the only parents your child has. Your child has a divine parent watching over them in the places where you can't see them. Your child has a divine parent going with them to the places where you cannot. Go. Your, your child has got, every child of God has got an extra parent who can do this way better than we can. And maybe, maybe that'll be enough so you can get some sleep tonight. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for all of the ways in which you watch over us and our children. God, we give you thanks for those moments when you remind us that we're not alone. God, we pray that you would help us to Find a little grace for our children and find a little grace for ourselves. God, help us to believe that, that even when our best doesn't seem good enough, your grace makes up for everything that we lack. And God, we pray that someday our children will be living in a more peaceable world, a world that seems less dangerous. God, give us the courage to make that world with you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.